1: Grocery Outlet Bargain Market is your home for huge savings on name brand products. This week, get an amazing deal on Ruben's Corned Beef Brisket, just 2 dollars a pound. That's a savings of up to $2 per pound versus traditional grocery stores. Also, start your morning off right with Versanto Cafe Single Serve Brew Cups. 80-count packages of assorted varieties are just $14.99. That's a wow savings of up to 50%. Offers good through March 12th. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market.
0: Take the baseline out. Uh huh. Here we uh-huh. go. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Hello,
1: everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with my co-host Andy Belly, and as we keep our crazy season preview train rolling, we move on to the heat with the step-backs, Wes Goldberg, who is also the co-host of the Locked on Heat podcast, so we're very happy to have him on today. How are you doing, Wes?
2: I'm great. You said it's a crazy... See, what makes it crazy? What makes your season previews crazy? What am... What did I get myself into here?
1: Uh, it, it Pretty much for too much of the off-season, we might have coasted a little bit, and now we're rolling out <laughs> season previews basically every day. So it is a crazy season preview train. I know how you feel. Our, our, our podcast is...
0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.
2: Price and coverage match limited by state law. Quote-unquote a daily podcast, but we've been coming out with like one a week <laughs> for like the last two months. So I know exactly what the coasting trend's like.
1: The The daily podcast is hard enough in season, as it is to me, especially when it's just team-focused. I don't know how you would churn out any more than one per week over the off season, especially when you're in like that late August to early September period.
2: Yeah, I mean, when, when it's, like, rumor season, it's pretty easy when everybody just wants to know about where Gordon Hayward is going, for instance. So it's it's easy enough to just be like, Gordon Hayward's wife posted an Instagram post on her uh, loving the beach in Miami, and that could take up 20 minutes of airtime, you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, right now it's just like, yeah, I guess we'll do, like, player
1: previews or something. So, sure, that's kind of where we're at think about how bad it was for the like for teams that aren't a free agent destination or weren't like involved in anything like that like the pistons well I guess they made trades but it's just you look at some of those other teams that'd be even tougher to churn out content but for the heat just just, yeah um I think we have to start with the obvious how upset are you that Kyrie Irving is not in Miami right now
2: so I was really pushing for the Kyrie Irving trade I thought if you have a chance, and I'm not this is not an original thought, but if you have a chance to acquire somebody of that caliber, you do it, right? And I know there's a lot of debate on well, can Kyrie lead a team? Is he a real superstar? Blah, blah, blah. It's 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 an irrelevant debate as when you're a front office trying to trade for that kind of player. It's irrelevant. It's fun for people on podcasts and in columns to talk about, but for if you're building a team, it's irrelevant because unless you have LeBron or Kevin Durant knocking on your door, you're not getting one of those guys. So you just get the best players you can, and Kyrie's 25 years old. His best basketball is ostensibly in front of him, right? Yeah. So you would think that if you could get a guy of his caliber, which the Heat clearly don't have—no offense to Dion Waiters—but it's <laughs> they don't have that kind of player. You get him, right? And you trade whatever. If it takes Goran Dragic and the Sun Whiteside, do it. You know, if it takes Goran Dragic Whiteside and Josh Richardson, do it. Uh, Justice Winslow, do it. It's fine, but they just don't have, they never had the horses to get the deal done. Uh, Pat Riley has traded way too many of the draft picks that he's had. Like, there's no, they have no second round picks for the foreseeable future. Like, they don't, by the time, during Donald Trump's presidency, they will not pick in the second round. That's it. And then <laughs> they and going further. So, uh, they, and, and every, Every trade that has happened since the last year's trade deadline except for one has involved a trade of some, a, a draft pick of some kind. And they don't have tradable draft picks. They have no second rounders like I said, and they can't trade into their first rounders because they still have 2-0 to Phoenix for the Gorn Dragic trade. So they can't they can't make moves. So to answer your question, I wasn't I was disappointed that Kyrie Irving didn't make it on the Heat, but I was never—I'm—I'm not super disappointed because I never had the expectation that it could even happen. You know, I was more surprised than anything that he went to Boston, but. Uh, that's about it.
1: Two, I'm sure I'm cutting off Andy. I'm actually surprised that was more of a tongue in cheek question because I just assumed you guys wouldn't have want or people wouldn't have wanted Kyrie Irving in Miami. But I guess I'm a lot lower on him than everybody else. It was
2: pretty polarized. It was pretty polarizing. <laughs> a lot of people like on on our show we do a, a mailbag, and so our mailbag for like two weeks was why would you ever want Kyrie Irving? And another one was like trade everybody that the Heat have for Kyrie Irving, uh, and it, it, he's a. Look, he's polarizing within the Miami Heat fan base. He's polarizing all around the league, obviously. I mean, you read Howard Beck's article about the the, the front office people on Kyrie Irving. I mean, he's just a polarizing player.
0: I uh, When you laid out a couple of those potential trade packages, at least in, like, short term, uh, Hassan Whiteside and Goran Dragic might have helped Cleveland even more, but there was just no way to trump that first pick, obviously, or, or that Nets pick
2: obviously. It, look, I mean, the Heat just don't have draft picks in every trade. Like, You need draft picks for the trade. I mean, we talk about uh, the, the, the 76ers and how they went through the process using, just bettering their own draft picks by, you know, serially losing. And that's one way to use draft But the other way to use draft picks, and, and my argument has always been the most valuable part about draft picks, is just greasing the wheels on a trade. Every, it, for whatever reason, it, the NBA speaks in draft picks currency. And if you don't have them, you can't get deals done. And that's why the Heat, and I'm sure we'll get to this later, but if you look at the way the Heat are built right now, they are built for a trade, except for the one obvious yeah. flaw, which is they can't—I What I don't know how they get a deal done— without having the picks to trade. So, to me, a lot of people say that they're a trade away from getting a superstar, but if the Kyrie Irving thing has proved anything, um, it's that they're a trade away from being a trade away to acquiring a superstar. They, they're going to have to move one of these guys for draft picks of some kind because they just simply don't have them, and you need them to get deals done in the NBA.
1: It could you would think maybe they would understand the value of second round picks too, having just paid Josh Richardson, but it could kind of go the other way. Maybe they're just that confident in their ability to scoop up guys in that area who aren't don't like don't need to be drafted. You look at Rodney Magruder or you look at uh, Tyler Johnson. So it's just I, I, I guess it I've, their, their pick situation is a mess. and that three year gap in the Phoenix picks, when it's 2018 and 2021 is super annoying because you can't trade a pick in between then uh as of now so th- they're in kind of a right. bizarre situation there
2: well that's part that's certainly part of it is that they are very confident that they could just go to the d league scoop up a couple guys and make them role players but what the difference between a rodney Magruder and even a tyler johnson and somebody like josh richardson is that tyler johnson Magruder they're They've got a clear ceiling, right? Tyler Johnson's a good player. He he has got an early candidacy for sixth man of the year. I mean, he is that caliber of a player. Not not that sixth man of the year has been anything impressive over the last couple of years. But um, somebody like Josh Richardson's ceiling is much higher than that of Magruder or Tyler Johnson. And that's the difference between even a second round, the 40th pick in the draft, and, and somebody that was undrafted out of Fresno State or wherever Ronnie Magruder went, Kansas State or something like that. And um, and the Heat—so that's partly—but that's partly it. Like, they think that they could find contributors at some level through any route. But they also believe that second-rounders are easy to get. They think that—obviously, look at the way the Warriors got Jordan Bell. They just bought the second-round pick from the Bulls. The Heat believe that they can do that. If there was another Josh Richardson on the board, another guy that said, this guy is undervalued and we can make something of him, uh, they would just purchase a second-round pick. And we've seen that done several times over the years. But— like I said, that's only that's only getting a pick to to use the pick to draft a player. You also need those picks to grease the wheels on on trades that may just happen. I mean, if the Heat didn't have first round picks to trade, they would have they wouldn't have been able to trade for Goran Dragic at the trade deadline when they did. Now they would have been able to sign him in that summer in free agency because he was going to Miami regardless. But that's not really the point. the 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 problem is that when something happens like Kyrie Irving, for example, now they are you look at what assets they have, and it's just it's it's. Fine players, but no great players, and and no draft picks, and that's the problem with not having any.
0: When you brought up uh, Drogic as a potential trade trip, just for the heck of it, I I, I looked up him and Kyrie Irving and Basketball References Player Comparison Finder. Mm-hmm. He is within just a couple decimal points of Kyrie in true shooting percentage, box plus minus, assist percentage. Um, I've especially as Eurobasket has kind of played out over the last week. Last couple of weeks, I have like firmly planted my feet on the Goran Dragic is like suddenly underrated. Um, yes. Wagon. Join the club. I think it's... he is fantastic. And it did. Like you said, a lot of people think Miami is kind of set up to make a trade right now. But even if they wrote it out with this roster that they have and Goran Dragic is like their clear number one. Um, I, I still think they're pretty comfortably a playoff team this year.
2: I've been saying for a long time since since really this this roster has formed this is a team that's going to compete for 50 wins and they might not get there but with the la- like the last 2 or 3 weeks of the season 50 wins is going to seem like doable you know what I mean whether or not they they yeah. finish with 47 or 50 or whatever but uh, you're right Look, Goran Dragic last year had as good of a year as he's ever had and he was an all NBA player in in his second to last year in Phoenix and his stats last year are better than those stats in that Phoenix year in a, in a lot of different categories. He has gotten, he's not the finisher he was when he was in Phoenix because he was, re, he was more athletic in Phoenix. He is on the other side of 30 right now, but he has gotten so crafty. He has something called the steel shoulder. I think he calls it I was, or the iron shoulder I was or something like that. just the
0: exact same thing. Go ahead.
2: He, he's gotten so crafty with that move uh, right around the paint you get him like anywhere between five and eight feet away from the rim. And he's, his footwork as a guard is is tremendous. He looks like he looks like a, a, a like Zach Randolph at at his peak with footwork in the post or something like that. But uh, between that and just his strength, he is stronger than a lot of other guards. Uh, he's able to kind of bully his way near the rim and get the shots that he wants. So maybe he's not finishing as high near the rim. He doesn't have the launch that he used to have when he was in Phoenix. But he's figuring out ways to get there, and that is the best sign for a argument that is Goran Dragic going to, is is he going to start slipping? Because that's another problem. But if you look, like you said, in, in Eurobasket, he looks fantastic. I mean, he's, he's in the best shape he's ever been in. He, he's he got a great beard, which matters. And he he's just playing out of this world. And yes, it's Eurobasket. It's against inferior talent when you compare it to the NBA. But it's still highly competitive basketball. And he looks great. I mean, he is among the best players in Eurobasket so if you're if you just need him to be a top 40 player a top 50 player in the NBA he's around that and that's fine and um, just some other things that I, I, I was writing about this the other day you look at Dragic he's 31 years old right but we know that he didn't play a whole lot in the beginning of his career he is Another player that was drafted in the same draft Dragic was was Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook has played two more seasons worth of basketball, just in terms of minutes played, than Goran Dragic has. Now, Russell Westbrook has also played more minutes than anybody else in that 2009 draft. But just think about Two more seasons worth of minutes than Goran Dragic has in his career. Goran Dragic, therefore, is more—his minutes played in his career— is more similar to that of John Wall. And nobody says, well, John Wall is on the wrong side of 30, of or John Wall might be slipping anytime soon. You think of John Wall as right in the middle of his prime. So Goran Dragic, you could make an argument, is right in the middle of his prime in many respects. And if you look at him in Eurobasket, I'd argue that that, that the eye test bears that out. He looks like he's playing the best basketball he's ever played.
1: I th- the only... Yeah, I, th- I guess the I only time he would have been... say, I think... Go ahead, <laughs> Sorry, Bill. Dan, go ahead. No, go ahead.
0: I was just going to say... I. Th- I agree with you. I think he, while he did rely on athleticism and explosiveness for for much of his career, I do think there are aspects of his game that are going to age really well. I agree with you. I think there's a craftiness to him that's going to help him be an effective player for at least a few more years. And then just to put an exclamation point on the Eurobasket conversation, um, you know, you expect NBA players to, to dominate tournaments like this. But he's averaging 27-7 in and five and two steals per 36 minutes with, with basically a 600 true shooting percentage. So that's that's exactly what you want from a superstar-type player in a, mm-hmm. in a setting like that. Sorry, go ahead, Dan.
1: No, I was just going to say, because Wes was talking about it, it looks like he's playing the best basketball of his career. It's definitely the smartest basketball, and I think the only season, mm-hmm. compared to last one, that might have been a little bit better, was that 2013-2014 campaign in Phoenix, where it really seemed like he turned a corner in terms of, adapting and, and expanding his game to where you looked at him and said, this dude's not only really good, but he's going to age very well. And he's about to become, after next season, uh, the second highest-paid point guard on the Heath roster.
2: Oh, jeez. Do you want to have that conversation?
1: I already did on <laughs> an article I wrote earlier in the summer, and Tyler Johnson was not happy about it. Really? He tweeted about it. Um, it was just... I did five I worst that. contracts at every position, and it's you know it was. I don't oh, think it's,
2: that's right! I do remember that. I forgot about that. Yeah,
1: he wasn't happy about the James Johnson pick either. And I Andy's a big Andy and James Johnson are basically married. Um, I, <laughs> oh, I didn't want to pick James Johnson, but you look at the power forwards, and you know positions are weird. It, you know, it's just it was an article like you wrote it. I but heard. looking at the yeah. positions like power forward, when you really look at those contracts, they're not. If we have to separate guys right. into positions, there are not any real bad contracts aside from, I guess Ryan Anderson at that slot.
2: That was a Bleacher Report, right? You wrote that for? Yes, I remember it. So I okay. While well, I'm here, then the James Johnson one was bad. You shouldn't. James Johnson, that's a good contract. I think you're wrong.
1: A good? I should, one. The power forward field <laughs> is just so like, and I had to go through it with Andy beforehand. He knows I was grappling over putting James Johnson in but it's just he's going to be 34 by the end of that deal. You're basically paying him for what he did this one season, and I don't I don't really mock the Heat for giving it to him, but it was relative to the power forward landscape and the context under which his deal came, and you just kind of look at the amount now and you look at how, how the contract market really shook out by the end of this summer. Uh, it's just that I don't think you look at – if you look at it relative to the entire league, you don't look at a four-year $60 million deal for James Johnson and be like, Wow, that's bad. It probably doesn't even make – if you made a list he, of the 50, he would, 50 worst contracts, he probably wouldn't be on it. So he would get – so it's a four-year $60 million, $15
2: million a year on average. Would it have been as bad of a contract if another team signed him to that? Because he was making that – that money was happening. He was getting that deal somewhere. If it wasn't Miami, he was getting that deal somewhere.
1: I don't. I.
0: I would agree with that.
1: I would want to know who was going to pay him that money. Honestly, if you go through the, it seemed like I could have maybe seen like four and fifty from another team, but it almost seemed like the Heat were giving him a little bit of a bonus for being patient while they went out and figured out what the deal was with Gordon Hayward. They, I
2: think he would have gotten more money somewhere else, actually, because they didn't have the cap room to give him. To They did, they weren't afforded the luxury to give him a bonus. Like They barely were able to fit Wayne, keep, keeping somebody like Wayne Ellington under the cap. So they wouldn't have been throwing out bonuses. Actually, a lot of what James Johnson and somebody like Deion Waiters, their, their contract comes to uh, – comes down to what uh, uh, alternative bonuses. That's not the right word for it, but basically non-guaranteed bonuses, which factors in uh, games played or points per game or something like thresholds that they have to hit in order to make the full amount of salary uh, to turn some non-guaranteed money into guaranteed money. So they, got, they had to get really crafty with their salary cap, so they couldn't afford anything like, well, James Johnson, we appreciate you staying. We're going to give you a little bit of a bonus like they've done with Udonis Haslam in the past or somebody like that, but... The reason you pay James Johnson that sort of money is just it, look, if you look at his stats in regards to other power forwards, it's not great. His points per game, like nothing jumps off the page, but it's the versatility that he brings and what he affords the heat as far as not having to carry a true backup point guard or and and just other random rotation and roster machinations that James Johnson allows for. So. If the Heat had not re-signed James Johnson, all of a sudden, who runs their second unit is a question that they have to figure out, because James Johnson was the point forward of that second unit, and he was good at it. like Not just good for a forward, like good at running the second unit offense. Now, he's not going to do that for a first unit offense, more likely than not, but he allows you to make roster decisions in a way that you couldn't if he wasn't there. The only argument against James Johnson si- re-signing him that I could come up with is that it- he laid the blueprint for somebody like Justice Winslow to have a really strong third season where Winslow has a lot of the similar skill sets that James Johnson does. They both handle the ball well for their size. They have good court vision. They're unselfish. Um, James Johnson's a little bit better of a shooter than Justice Winslow, but you assume or hope that Winslow will get better in that respect, but they have a lot of similar things that they can do. And so if you look at James Johnson, you say, well, um, that was a great year. You laid the blueprint for what we want Justice Winslow to be because they didn't know what they wanted Justice Winslow to be in his first couple of years. And that would lay the blueprint there. I still think that's going to be the case. They're going to just basically have two James Johnsons, I think. But uh, that would be the only case of why you don't sign him like that. But I think in a vacuum, the contract is good in regards to the way the roster is built. The contract was extra good.
1: I don't think you can make an argument, a strong one, against the Heat re-signing him. I still, if you look at the landscape at that point and the teams and what they needed, I, I wonder where he would have gotten $60 million or more on the open market. I, I don't see that. I know
0: uh, Sacramento, maybe? I know Utah was very interested once Gordon Hayward left.
1: Utah was not going to uh, give $60 hmm. million to Johnson after they signed Rudy Gobert.
0: They were very interested. I don't know what kind of number they would have thrown it in, but before they made all those deals for Jerebko and Cephalosha and, and all those guys they kinda of got at the end, that was somebody they were real interested in. I didn't
1: like I wanna make this clear that I don't hate the contract. It's that when you look at if you look at the rest of the power forward contracts that are out there right now. His does stand out, and it's you probably could have swapped someone else in there, and I don't think it's a terrible deal, and I wrote about him leading into free agency. There was only one other player who matched his point, assist, steal, block, and made three-point totals last year, and that was DeMarcus Cousins. James Johnson's fantastic. He's essentially a point center. Uh, he's tough to stop when he gets going downhill. If his three-point percentage continues to improve where he's at that right at that league average rate, not really just hovering just below it, he's going to be fantastic. The contract is not terrible. I don't know if I would like it as much. You know, Now you have Whiteside and you sign Kelly Olynyk. I think Coach Boelstra is a genius, and he'll still figure out a way to get in these super spacey, switchy combinations where maybe you will have Olynyk and Whiteside on the bench at the same time. It's just looking at the rest of the power forwards in the league, I think it's – I don't know who else you would have put there aside from him, and I still will stand by – I don't think there was that – if, if both of you were thinking, hey, he would have gotten more uh, money on the open market, I just don't think that team was out there to give him more money. There's no obvious fit or need uh, for him when you were looking at the landscape at the time.
0: Let me add one more thing on this, um, just what we've been talking. So one thing about James's career that I think is interesting, and I think it's fair that a lot of people point out that this was really his first season, and it's kind of crazy to reward him on one like breakout season in his 30s i've always kind of felt like he was one of those guys that just never found the right situation until now like he's been doing a lot of what he did in miami for his career it was just um it was very spotty because he never had the right role and Spoelstra was finally the guy that let him kind of do his thing dave yeager did a few years ago in memphis uh as well mm-hmm. but it wasn't it didn't get quite as many headlines but i entered his career per 36 averages just to kind of see who else would be nearby in terms of like points blocks deals assists the only guy who's really kind of close is uh andre karolinko who Ooh. is uh, i think one of the most underrated yeah players maybe ever um david robinson is also on this list but he's he's almost a full assist behind james um other guys like hakeem olajuwon anthony davis anthony rent or uh Andre Drummond but they're all like way way behind in assists but it's an interesting list be sure and I would echo what Wes said earlier I just think he's incredibly versatile um, and like and I don't have like sources or anything but and so I don't know numbers that were available from other teams but I do think somebody was going to pay him
2: yeah I think I, I spoke with James Johnson last year um, right when he was sort of coming on and kind of figuring out his role with the Heat because for a while there they weren't sure how to use him And his favorite he said his favorite thing to do is distribute the ball to pass to his teammates and get them open shots. And that's just not something he was afforded um, in his previous stops was the 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 autonomy to not only get out of the corner and put the ball on the floor and and just kind of dribble around. And and, and, but but he wasn't allowed to really distribute. He was kind of just, you know, get stand in the corner, catch the ball and either take the shot or move the ball. And that was basically it. Now he's able to kind of create offense. He really is enjoying it. He's relishing the opportunity he has. And everything, you can kind of tell when he's got that part of his game going, everything else falls into place. And I think that's exactly, I agree with um, what you are saying, that he hasn't had that role in his previous stops. And look, it's not like this guy was the first pick in the draft. It's not like any team was supposed to give it to him. But yeah, uh, the, heat, the Heat, as they have done several times, Eric Spolster has found the way to best use an asset that he has, a player that he has, and just carve out a role for that player. I mean, it's like what Bill Belichick does on the Patriots. He just gets this running back that was some no-name guy for the Bills, and he's like, oh, no, he should be on the goal line every time we're there. He's, that's what he's good at, and that's what they do. And, and that's what Spolster does is he finds a guy, he finds a couple of things that they can do, and if he can make the one thing work, every, the rest of that person's game can just fall into place. And for James Johnson, that is putting the ball on the floor – Letting him distribute and create offense, and everything else seems to just improve off of that.
0: I should also add too that in Dan's column, I, there was a disclaimer that said there really aren't many bad contracts.
1: This is and literally so was,
0: verbatim. I, 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 I was just,
2: I'm giving. I'm giving you. <laughs> I was giving you crap, Dan. I know that you had to include that contract in there. I get it. Um, I just wanted to argue with you over it.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's totally fair, and I'm not going to deny that. Uh, James Johnson is versatile. It's just I, – I would question – I don't think it's a bad contract for the Heat and the argument that he's great in this role, and I even think you look at Wayne Ellington is not on the same level as versatile, but just some of the shots he makes on this Heat team where he just looks so comfortable coming around screens and he just seems like this wind-up toy, and he's just mm-hmm. phenomenal with them. It probably just doesn't work on every team, and that's why when you look at a player like James Johnson and all he does – if you're like, wow, well, you know what? Yeah, that guy should get four years and $60 million. That's perfectly fine to me. I just honestly don't know. And I'm just genuinely curious where that money would have came from if not the Heat. And I'm not even saying the Heat shouldn't have given it to him. His contract is, is I would say, it's to me, it seems a little bit better than Dion Waiters' deal. Um, I think you can like it more than Kelly O'Linick's deal as well. It's just they came in at different positions. But I do wonder where where that money would have came from if not Miami is just my genuinely only question into how that unfolded.
2: Uh, the Tyler Johnson contract was bad. That one's that one's an It issue. didn't it I would have
1: defended it and uh disclaimer I defended Evan Turner's contract a year ago uh, and Alan Pratt's <laughs> contract a year ago. Uh, just, I was with you. I was defending all of I
0: was it, Yeah, I was I was on Evan Turner too.
1: <laughs> Shout out to the Nets I wrote, though. Like, I wrote I wrote a column
2: I wrote a column on Evan Turner being um uh, Portland's Andre Iguodala possibly. So um <laughs> I I was very much on the Evan Turner train.
1: They I don't think they used like well they I guess they couldn't use him the way they wanted to use him, but I just thought that McCollum and Damian Lillard would play off the ball so much more when Turner so was on the floor and exactly. they did not.
2: Yeah. Uh, but the Tyler Johnson thing, like you said, he's going to be not only – he's going to be the second highest paid player on the Heat next season. That is insane. And now you look at the extension that the Heat signed Josh Richardson to last week. They are going to have $40 million invested in the shooting guard position next year between Tyler Johnson, Deion Waiters, and Josh Richardson. 40, and there's not an all-star in that group, obviously. So – that to me when you're looking at the heat we could talk about the James Johnson contract or the Waiters contract or whatever but mostly those are those are fine maybe they're a little like you can we can make the argument like you just did that maybe they're a little on the high end of the spectrum but they ultimately they're fine they're not going to hinder roster building roster building ability Tyler Johnson contract is and I was always in favor of resigning Tyler Johnson because the reason they matched the Brooklyn Nets offer was Number one, they felt like they hadn't seen the best from Tyler Johnson, right? Right. So they wanted to. They were like, "I'm not. We're not ready to let this guy go." And the way that the contract is structured, we're gonna get him at two years at below market value, and in the in year three and year four is when that contract goes up to 18 and 19 million dollars a year. So we're just gonna bite the bullet now and let future Heat people take care of that problem down the road. And uh, and the second argument is that they discovered Tyler Johnson, right? Like, he was undrafted, they found him, they put him on the D-League squad, they built him up, and he became this real interesting role player for them. And this is a team that doesn't, like I said, doesn't have draft picks, and at the time didn't have many young players or assets at all. And so when you kind of stumble onto a guy like that, you can't let that player get away for nothing. And the idea is always, in Miami, we could trade any contract. Now, they proved that they could, but they they lost their last second round pick by trading Josh McRoberts to the Dallas Mavericks right that was the that was their other bad contract that they had on the books so now they don't have any of any of that stuff to grease the wheels to try to trade Tyler Johnson so it really looks like they're going to be stuck with paying him 19 million dollars next year unless there is some team that just comes out and they're like look we can win a championship if we have Tyler Johnson he is the last piece <laughs> that we need and we will just trade whatever it takes like if Cleveland is like we've never been able to replace Matthew Dellavedova since he left Let's just bite the bullet and get Tyler Johnson right now. Um, LeBron James and Isaiah Thomas are gone next year anyway, so it doesn't matter. But, um, but that that's going to be a problem. Is that Miami right now? They're investing forty million dollars into one position that doesn't have an All Star, and there some something has to give there, or, or else uh, I, I don't know how they they kind of continue. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop here on my little Tyler Johnson monologue. But I have I have one other thing as far as roster building goes.
0: But that's basically where they're standing right now. I just—I was nineteen I would, million for Tyler Johnson is the kind of thing you might have to send a first to grease the wheels on.
1: I would think more than that. Yes, that's it would, so much money. Yeah, it's and just, like a rookie. Yeah, yeah, it's and what's interesting is that he is. I do think teams would have serious pause about trading for waiters on this deal, but Tyler Johnson, in essence, is the only real a movable contract, if you want to go as far as to call it that, on this roster. And it's just bizarre that the issue for the Heat is basically we're paying all these guys market value, but when you're paying, what they're looking at now, like by 2018, 2019, you're going to have, what, seven, eight guys making market value. That's pretty much your whole rotation. And the goal is always you want to get two to three guys who are making below market value, and that's going to start to – I mean, even Justice Winslow is going to be extension eligible next summer so it's just they're they're all progressing and so it's a, it's a very weird situation because i don't think you i don't even think you need to hate every contract on this roster because you look at tyler johnson if you just average out his salary over four years instead of the cap hit it's like all right you know whatever he might be worth that much maybe it's a little on the high end there but they've in essence just paying too many guys market value which seems like such a counterintuitive thing to say but it's true
2: then that's why this roster looks like it's poised for a trade. Um, I think that the Josh Richardson contract is tradable. You know, he's a young player on the low end, three and D potential. If he shows out in the first, I think he's going to be the starter at small forward. If he shows out in the in the first half of the year, they can move that deal. Right? It's not everybody wants a three and D player. He's he's the prototype. Well, Kelly Olynyk. I think you can move that deal. Um, in December, when he's trade eligible, if if there's the right fit, if some team deals with an injury, I don't know. Deion Waiters, I think you can move that contract too. Again, if he shows out, like these are all market contracts, but the way that they're structured, the it, it's funny. Deion Waiters is 25 years old. If he becomes a 20 point per game scorer, and that's an if, right? That's that is a, admittedly that's a big if. But if he becomes a 20 point, 21 point per game scorer. He becomes – that becomes a bargain contract, and that becomes something that a team will eat up if they feel like they need another a, another scoring guy off the bench or somebody that could even start for them in shooting guard. And, and so the, it's – this team is very much built, and it's not the best way to build a roster, but it's very much built on the best-case scenario, right? Best-case scenario, Josh Richardson, Dean Waiters, Olenek, and James Johnson all look great, and all of a sudden then – you know, All Star X becomes available, and a team wants a Denver Nuggets type package for them. Just like, look, we're we're not interested in in getting a bunch of draft picks. We'd rather have players who can make an impact now. And then Miami could put three or four of these guys together and move them for a star. I mean, if you, they've got six players that are making between nine and nineteen million dollars, so there's a lot of ways to kind of combine those contracts and get to what is a max level deal, right? So yeah, some good salary uh,
1: matching potential was, for sure. you essentially kind of yeah. over at least for this season, almost removed Josh Richardson from that equation because his cap hit is so weird until his extension yeah. kicks in. So it's now all of a sudden I'm a big Rodney Magruder fan. But when you're looking for that cheap sweetener to throw in there like he's that guy. So it's just I, they mm-hmm. could definitely make some intriguing offers uh, post December when all these guys are eligible to be traded. But you I think you lost one of your best trade chips. Uh, in Josh Richardson, because of how weird his cap hit now is, and how much money you already have on the book, so it's not like you can take back um, all that money that would need to come inbound for his contract. So that it get things get a little weird there. But I do think you're right that you have some interesting contracts that, if you piece, you know, two of them together with um, a Rodney Magruder, maybe it becomes interesting. If the player, you know, he probably won't be an All NBA player you're getting back, but he could be a marquee name if he's disgruntled. That he could certainly enter that conversation.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't know. What what do you... So we all agree that this roster is really built for another trade. And like I said at the start of this podcast, I I think they're a trade away from being a trade away. You look at somebody like Hassan Whiteside, possibly, um, who is, on by many accounts, Miami's best player. I think he's probably their second best player but uh, behind Dragic. But, um, look, they've got guys like Kelly Olenek and, and the guy they just drafted to the 14th pick, Bam Adebayo. If... The right deal comes along. I wonder if you move on white side now and 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 try to acquire some draft picks, a first and a second, or a couple of maybe a first and a future first, or something protected in that range, uh, and maybe some uh, some nice young players in return. I wonder if you move that deal now and let just and just let Olenek and James Johnson start
0: in the front court, which I I kind of like a lot. You totally preempted what I was going to ask you because I I was Uh just thinking, man, we haven't talked about Hassan Whiteside yet. And my segue was I I think I like James Johnson, Kelly Olinick as that's my favorite. Oh, without
1: question. That's so that's so switchy and you don't really lose size or a ton of rebounding.
0: And you look at what
2: Miami does offensively. The reason they went 30 and 11 down the second half of last season wasn't just look, Right. And it wasn't because they got their guys back who were previously injured. Uh, those those things certainly played a part. But the other part was that Eric Spolster f- stumbled into something that worked in the first half of the season. Everything. W- the whole offense was throw it to Whiteside, let him practice his post moves. That was the <laughs> offense. Um, the second half of the year, they said not a great offense. Uh, Goran Dragic, Deion Waiters after Waiters. Um, Waiters was hurt for the, a lot of the first half. Once Waiters came back, they kind of stumbled into this, whoa, these guys can kind of play off each other in a way that Drogic and Dwayne Wade couldn't for the last couple of years. Uh, And they started this drive and kick offense. James Johnson became a viable uh, um, role player off the bench. Luke Babbitt became entrenched as just like that stretch four guy that they needed to spread the court for them. Uh, Ronnie Magruder... uh, replaced Justice Winslow, who only played 18 games last year before going under shoulder surgery. Ronnie Magruder came in, was able to suddenly be a spot-up shooter from three-point range. And all of a sudden, they just kind of accidentally fell backwards into this offense, which was give Dragic and Waiters the ball and let them drive and kick. Now, the one thing that got in their way a lot of times was the 7-foot, 260-pound Hassan Whiteside who was just standing right by the rim and occasionally floating out to about 15 feet where he thinks he can shoot from, and he can't. But he – and that was kind of there, and there was always this, all right, you got to get Whiteside the ball every once in a while and kind of let him go to work. And that that would slow down the pace and kind of throw off the flow every once in a while. But then Whiteside would go out and Willie Reed would come in. Willie Reed is very much just kind of a utility player where he just like, I'll, I'll set a couple of good screens. I'll roll the basket and dunk if you need me to. If not, I'll be here when you do. Um, and that, and a lot of times the offense would do a lot better when Willie Reed was in there because he, he didn't need the ball. And that's the problem when you have Whiteside in there. Between Waiters, Dragic, and Whiteside, that's three. those are three guys that need the ball. And if you add James Johnson in there as a starter, it's four guys that need the ball. And we're not even including who might be the fifth starter there, depending on who it is. Uh, those are four guys that need the ball to do what they do best. And and a lot of times that could be a problem when there's not an all-star among that group, right? It's, it's four guys yeah. who need the ball to do to be B-plus players. So... Uh, all in all, you look at the way the, w- the roster works. Kelly Olynyk can come in. He sets great screens. He can he can space the floor with his shooting ability. That might work a lot more for Waiters and Dragic to just get to the rim. And you get rid of a guy who need that uh, you you take my- Whiteside out of the equation, and suddenly maybe the offense functions and flows a little bit better, and they could play at a faster pace.
0: Where one question? That's what I was going to say, Dan. I think you're I think you're about to ask the same question as me.
1: Yeah, I just – is it going to be where – and I'm not denying Whiteside's talent. It's just the center market right now. Where are you sending Whiteside where you're going to get No idea. That? Like it would have to be a situation where the, Hawks, where the Hawks are like, you know what? Crap, we don't have the stomach to tank. Let's see if they'll take Deadman, Bembry, and Baysmore or Bazemore. Like it would have to be something like that, and I don't see the Hawks doing that. And you look at the centers elsewhere, the Bulls. They, they could maybe pivot, but they're also trying to tank right now. So I don't know that you can – it's it's the same problem with Andre Drummond, who was wildly right. overrated, but at the same time, you look at his age, and it's like, well, maybe he could still be good. He's a double-double machine. He can be a good pick-and-roll finisher. He just has to ditch those post-ups and those basically mid-range hooks that are ugly as hell. It's just where are you sending these guys, and it's that's why I was almost a little bit surprised— that the heat they seem to be in asset collection mode after the Hamer uh-huh. decision or when they knew we were out of it. But to give Kelly Olinick that money, he can play beside James Johnson or Hassan Whiteside. So I get it. But after you are paying Whiteside and you have Johnson, you throw Olinick in there, and it's like you, it doesn't seem like one of these guys will be on the roster that much longer because there's three of them and how much money are committed to them. I just don't know. I would agree with both of you that if you can sell. Even mid to high on Whiteside, and you're just sort of trimming salary and gaining more flexibility while getting a mid end return. That's fine. I just don't know where you put him when you look at all these depth charts right now. So the
2: obvious answer last year was Portland, right? Because they they were clearly in the center. They they offered Whiteside. They were going to offer Whiteside the same contract Miami offered. Miami was able to offer a little bit more money, uh, and so Whites and Whiteside wanted to be back in Miami. Suns Whiteside didn't want to move to the, the Pacific
1: Northwest. He loves Miami. They got that was out there though, so he missed out.
2: Yeah, and you know I he would be a fan of fruit loops on a on a chocolate donut I'm sure but ultimately I think he just likes having like koi fish have you been on whiteside snap oh I just, snapchat?
1: I'm not a big snapchat you, guy but Hassan whiteside is just like it's just fantastic to see him it, there because... I have
2: Snapchat for Hassan whiteside well because like think that's why I have it.
1: it's like oh it's this 28 year old dude of course he would want to live in Miami but the things he's snapping it's like this isn't the, the reason most people want to live in Miami and he's just All this stuff. He was shopping at Walmart.
2: Like he was shopping at Walmart two nights ago and I just I had the best time just following it. He shot just Snapchatting the entire trip at Walmart. I'm like, Dog, you just signed a max contract. Why are you at Walmart? And he was buying a
1: basketball hoop at Walmart. And I don't know why. I think he has a basketball hoop. (laughs) And two questions that spring to mind is one, why have more players not announced their contract on Snapchat yet? And two, when you you've seen this, let's say it's about what, about two years of white side snapping like this. You kind of harken back and remember those rumors where it's like, oh, Hassan Whiteside kind of pouts in the locker room and this and that. And you just see his personality on Snapchat. It's like he doesn't really just look like a powder type of a guy.
2: He's a fun guy. I mean, uh, there was – I was in the locker room when two years ago, uh, Whiteside's first year as a full-time starter, right? And and it was the night – they were playing. They they had just wrapped up their game, and the Celtics were going to beat the Warriors, right? And like the war, that was the year the Warriors won, like lost zero games. So, um, but the Celtics were. It was that late season game, and I just remember Whiteside just screaming and going crazy, like a like a, just like a little kid. He was so enthusiastic about this idea that the Warriors might lose. Like he was it was he turned into like this seven-year-old fan all of a sudden he's like he's like pushing teammates out of the way of the television like just going losing his freaking mind over this and i'm just like this guy's not a powder he's having the best time of his life all the time and maybe he was in sacramento when he was p- playing behind demarcus cousins he he always thought like he was better than demarcus cousins or anybody else that was on the floor for any team like i'm better why am i not getting my shot which is not a rare thing among athletes but uh he got his chance and really was like, that was the only thing that was kind of missing out of his life, I suppose. And then he got the max contract. So he was able to buy a bunch of koi fish and now his life is complete. Right. So he's like super happy all the time. He's having a, he's just having a great time. That said, um, as, as far as trade destinations, I don't know where you can move him. I don't, I, I thought Portland was an, a a good landing spot as a potential place, but they've got the God Joseph of Nurkic. So they don't need him anymore. And, and Charlotte, which is, uh, Whiteside's hometown, they just got Dwight Howard. So they don't they don't need him. The one team I keep, and I've, I've spent several hours that could otherwise have been spent in more useful endeavors on the trade machine. And the one team I keep going back to is the Milwaukee Bucks. I was and just thinking about I, them too. They, and, and that would have to be a deal. The window is tight. It's basically between now and February that a trade could happen because they've got the contract filler that can go back in Greg Monroe, right on an expiring contract and they've got draft picks. And this is why I said the Heat are a trade away from being a trade away from an all-star um, or a trade away from trading for an all-star is because if you can work out a deal like this, where you move Whiteside and the rest of his contract and you, you acquire the salary that would be required in order to facilitate that deal and a Greg Monroe who comes off the books. So you now you're saving $24 million um, of your cap because you've traded Whiteside's max salary. And you get some draft picks back in order to kind of restock and, and have the assets that are needed to pull the trigger when the next all-star becomes available suddenly. That, to me, is a deal that makes sense. And if you're Milwaukee, this is a team that is on the cusp of competing. They are not a good rim-protecting team. They've got plenty of fun names. Like Thon McCurr there is a, is a really fun player who, with a ton of potential. But if he ends up as the not next Larry Sanders or John Henson, just like their next seven-footer who just kind of flashes the first couple of years and then doesn't really pan out, or or Milwaukee decides, like, we're on the cusp of competing in the Eastern Conference, and we've got – like, the Cavaliers are shaky. Boston's putting together their thing. They're, they're still figuring it out. We've got an opportunity here. Do they just kind of flash – you know, fast-forward this thing and just make a move to kind of get – to narrow the gap there and really cover up their main weakness, which is that they can't they can't defend anybody from going to the rim. I and you look at what Boston and, and the Celtic, what Boston and the Cavaliers can do really well is they can get to the rim, right? That's how they win games. I wonder if if then Milwaukee decides we need a guy to defend the rim, we need us on Whiteside. He fits into what we want to do, which is just have a, the biggest, longest guys available. Like Whiteside is insanely big and long, so he he would fit like that weird gangly lineup that they have i think it, it makes sense like if, if the you know the right things were kind of to, to fall into place it makes sense you could talk yourself into it
1: would you as the heat though and i think this would be the i i agree with you 100 percent would you have the as the heat though take back a Toledovich or or john henson in that deal because i don't think the bucks would carry both of those contracts while taking on white sides and What's Tolevich making? Like seven million, eight million? Ten, about I think he makes like ten point five each of the next two years. So it's oh, less geez, than, this. and it's so you're you're getting out of con, like side wide sides contract a year early. It's just that's that's the sticky situation. It's if you're going to send out this twenty three point eight million dollar deal, uh, they're. Might not be a team that's just willing to send back all these expirings. If the Bucks, I think
2: Whiteside's worth. Whiteside's worth that deal in a that. Like he is, well, a, he's a great rim protector. Uh, he's an. He is a, a. He's got a lot of improvement to make on offense, and he's made huge improvements over the last few years. I think I've made a joke that he thinks he can shoot from fifteen feet.
0: I want to see. By now. the
2: end of the year, he will be making fifteen to eighteen footers. I feel like he has. He has shooting touch, and it's and he just. It's a matter of getting more consistent. If you're Milwaukee. Greg Monroe's contract is a non-factor. It's just salary filler, and so I don't think that they'd have I think to include Toledovich or Henson back would be a killer. What you say? I, I Henson and Toledovich are bad. Those are bad contracts. I don't think if you're Miami, you so need I, to take I, it I, back. I think it's just I think you just need the
1: draft picks. I just then you have forty-six million dollars t- if you're the Bucks for at least one year. You're have million dollars tied up in Toledovich, White Side. Um, and Henson, and then after Toledovich comes off the books uh, in 2019, you're still kind of unless Hassan Whiteside is all of a sudden going to start shooting um, these jumpers, these long range jumpers, you're going to have close to 40 million dollars wrapped up in him and John Henson. That's a lot for a center position. That that's why I said. Forward.
2: That's why I said it's a win now. It's a win now move. Like if Milwaukee has to get to the point where we're we're look, we got to we've locked up Giannis. We're going to lock up Jabari Parker probably. Let, we're not going to have cap space really after we do those two things, and if we're going to make a move now is the time. You know, even if they lose Greg Monroe next year, they're not going to have the space to sign somebody like Whiteside, right? Because they're going to extend no, Parker. Yeah. And so it, that's why I'm saying like the only way that happens is if Milwaukee gets over like this, men, the, takes this mental leap where, all right, now this is our window. Our window. Everybody says that the Bucks window is like two, three, four years down the road when the Warriors are starting to fade, and I agree with that. But if Milwaukee comes to this conclusion that no, this is our window, this is our window, then that's where you say screw, screw the bad contracts we have; those are sunk costs. Let's just go get this guy who can make us uh, a competitor right now.
1: Basketball wise, so makes if you're sense. Miami's,
0: if you're Miami's front office, you're, and they say you got to take Hanson or Teletovich, you're just saying no.
2: I so the reason you do that kind of trade is that is so that you could save, so you could bring in some, create some cap
0: space. Right, so You'd if you still t- create ten million with that deal,
2: yeah, but ten million against what? I mean, Miami—they're already, they're already ten million dollars above. Mm-hmm. Um, they're more than ten million dollars above next year's projected cap in nine okay, players. That makes it,
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean,
2: that's so definitely it, a
0: big difference. Yeah, it, uh, yeah be- I and
2: I I just I don't think that they'd have to. I, I maybe I'm wrong here, but if you're Greg Monroe is just salary filler, like he's not a real player in that trade. Like you're getting Whiteside there if you're in Milwaukee. I just don't understand why they would have to even put Henson or, or Toledovich in there. It would basically be white side for draft picks. would basically be what the trade is. I
1: think if they thought they wouldn't have to pay much maybe, to yeah. dump one of Toledovich who will be expiring next summer, so maybe he's easy to dump, or if you can pawn off Henson somewhere. Just because even the the rotation gets iffy with all those guys, because you have Thon McCor, you think they want to keep him. It'd be interesting if they were just done you know. with him, and they're like, hey, we need to win now. He was good in small bursts, but we need... You know, we need someone like Whiteside who's going to be on the floor more. So they just said, McCurr um,
2: becomes the backup, and and Henson isn't playing now anyway. So
1: right, so or yeah, so I, basketball would be interesting to do. I just think the salary <laughs> gives them pause because of all that yeah, clump yeah. right there. So and exactly. Wilson. I there. agree one hundred percent.
2: But DJ that, Wilson's a stud. I can't. I forgot they got him until just now. They don't need Whiteside. DJ Wilson's going to be an all-star. He's great. I mean, <laughs> I would
1: pay to see Whiteside at Santa Middleton let's say, Snow and Brogdon at the same time on the floor. That'd be ridiculous.
2: And could you imagine Whiteside Snapchat in Milwaukee? Like, Whiteside in the snow?
0: Let's do this. (laughs) Whiteside in the snow. Let's figure this out, (laughs) man. That should be his new handle, (laughs) Whiteside in the snow.
1: (laughs) It's amazing that we're having this conversation, though, because I still think, and Whiteside's gotten better. He's a very good player, but now we're at the point where if you're not this the cliche unicorn center necessarily, you know, his contract, I don't think it looks bad, but it's just there's so many big guys and they're on these rosters, even if teams don't want them right now, that you have to have these conversations about, well, where would he go? And then even the fact that we're saying, why would the Heat want to trade him? Well, because they need the cap flexibility because no one or few teams are probably going to pay this much for a starting center who's not like Carl Anthony Towns or DeMarcus Cousins anymore.
2: It used to be the case that your point guard had to be underpaid. And I think we're approaching the the era where your center is going to need to be underpaid in order to have a title-winning team. Because I 100% agree with you. I think you need the unicorns and you need them on fair deals because the guys that are making all the money, as we've seen the last couple of years after the cap spike, are the wing players, right? Those are the guys that are yep. signing. Like Those are the guys like Evan Turner, Tyler Johnson, Alan Crabb. They're just getting these insane contracts. And so you're going to have to underpay for your center, which is why I think the, the, the heat drafting Bam Adebayo, a lot of people are just kind of looking at that like, oh, you know, they thought he was the best player available at 14. That, that matters. And Bam has – we saw it in Summer League. He's got ability that Whiteside doesn't. He's got He's much quicker and much more athletic than, than Whiteside is as far as a moving around the basketball court point of view. He, he has the ability to defend all five positions. This is – I'm talking best case scenario, right? Like not right now. But he's, he's got the athletic ability to guard guys on the perimeter and switch onto guys on the perimeter. Uh, the Heat often took Whiteside out at the end mm-hmm. of games last year because he couldn't do that against smaller lineups. Um, he struggled mightily against Kelly Olenek, who, you know, he can't beat him, join him, so they just signed Kelly Olenek. They don't have to deal with him on the Celtics anymore. <laughs> and uh, But he would struggle every game against Kelly Olenek just because Olynyk was able to just... Hanging out on the perimeter, catch the ball, make a couple of awkward dribble moves, and that was enough to throw Whiteside off, right? And so, Bam has that ability to maybe be better defensively than White. Maybe not the rim protector that Whiteside is, but uh, has the ability to be adequate. You know, he doesn't have to be, you know, leading the NBA in blocks, but he could be effective. And we've seen all you got to do really is just be effective because most t- teams just switch defensively anyway. Um, yeah. So, That's why I think drafting out a bio there is, is of all the moves that Miami made this offseason, really between that and signing Kelly Olenek to a four-year deal is laying the groundwork for possibly trading Whiteside. And I don't want to see Whiteside go. I don't. This team is not going to win a championship as currently constructed. But, man, they are so much fun to watch, right? I mean, you've got great personalities like James Johnson and Deion Waiters and Whiteside. I mean, that is just enough entertainment value for me to tune in every night and do a podcast every night about it, right? But I, two years down the road, I'll get bored of that. And at some point, Heat fans are going to want this team to compete. Because I think a lot of Heat fans feel like I do right now. And I think the Heat, really, in the front office, they feel like I do right now, too. Like, there's this a fun team. We want to keep them together. The second half of last season was really cool. Let's try to keep that going. But a year or two years away from now, we'll get bored. And they're going to want to start to compete. And I think that's where the white side trade comes into play.
1: I'm interested to see... And this I guess this is an abrupt segue, but I'm kind of interested to see how they rework Justice Winslow into this fun team because that turnaround happened without him. And you know what you're getting mm-hmm. uh, in Whiteside, and you can work him out of the pick and roll even when he's not spacing the floor because he's such a good diver. And he's still going to be that rim protector. And Justice Winslow, very good defender. Uh, I think he can go all the way up to power forward if they want to try that out. But if the the way Eric Spoelstra likes to create space, if he doesn't have even a semblance of a jumper, still, like I don't know what you do because you are committed to. Like I didn't, you're you're talking about Bam, and I I totally forgot about him. That is an interesting move. So now you have all these, you know, they don't have to play Bam, but you do have Olenek right. and you have Whiteside and you have James Johnson. They're gonna have to play two of these guys at once. So you need your wings to be able to shoot really well, so I'm very, if I had a concern about this team, we know they're not going to win at that 31-10 and 10 pace, but if I had a concern about them reaching their potential to where they're a 50-win team or 48-win team, it would be they have this good player, a quality player in Justice Winslow, who I'm not sure if he fits with this team. They'll figure it
2: out. I think, you know, I, I said this earlier, but you look at what James Johnson did last year for the second unit, and that's the blueprint for Justice Winslow. Uh, just he's got underrated court vision. He's got a, a great first step off the dribble. Um, he's an underrated passer. He's a drive and kick type of guy. And he, he can do that for you. And if you let him do that for the second unit, and that's why you get somebody like Kelly Olenek. And that's ultimately why I think Olynyk is the backup center and not the starting power forward is because now you pair Olynyk with Winslow and other shooters like Wayne Ellington and Tyler Johnson off the bench. And now Winslow is the only non-shooter, and he can kind of play your point-forward position there. He's your backup point guard in some respects when Dragic comes off the floor. And so now it's Winslow and four shooters, right? Because Olenek can, can hit shots every other game from three-point range. And so uh, that that all of a sudden makes a lot more sense. That You can't put Winslow then in the starting lineup with somebody like Whiteside because you have two non-shooters in there, and that's death for an offense nowadays. So that... Ultimately, I think the starter the starter at small forward is Josh Richardson, who has, is longer than Rodney Magruder, so he won't be as uh, uh, vulnerable defensively, but, but can shoot better than Justice Winslow, right? He's a nice uh, catch-and-shoot player for them, and he always plays better as a starter, just the stats bear that out. And then you bring Winslow then off the bench and let him just run the show for the second unit. He was much more comfortable coming off the bench as a rookie. He started the first 18 games last year, and it didn't work out well. It was just awkward. You know, teams played off of him. He couldn't do what he wanted to do. Put him in the second unit and he'll be better for it.
1: The dare to be great trade would be dangling Justice Winslow and Hassan Whiteside for Greg Monroe, Filler, and Thon McCour. That would be the Heat's dare to be great trade package. Ooh, I
2: hate that so much.
1: <laughs> for the Heat or the Bucks? For the
2: Heat. You yeah. don't want to sell on Winslow. I, I would I would rather have Winslow than, than just, Thon McCurr right now.
1: Has he just uh, I, I said dare to be great and I guess that's fair because you don't <laughs> even if you have Thon who's basically a wing in a big body, you still want the wings. I just I agree. I like what I've seen from Justice Winslow as a passer. And then he have Bam. Right. It's just
2: And they're hoping Bam could be there with Thon McCur, I, I suppose.
1: But. I'm not sure if I trust him as like that James Johnson type player in the sense I, I don't like I don't see him leading a ton of fast breaks I don't see him leading these super efficient pick and rolls. Maybe he's the guy who can do it in a pinch, but I think he's gonna need to do it in volume to really be effective without a jumper. And I I, I don't know, I just don't see yeah. it. But I also my vision may be clouded uh, by my love for Rodney Magruder. Who was probably like one of Well you're of my- right,
2: he's not he wouldn't be as good as James Johnson at it, but he's also you know 21 years old and and so the idea would be well we're, we're not winning the championship this year so we're going to make you good at this you know that's the problem with winslow's career so far is that as a rookie he was coming off the bench for uh luau dang and then later joe johnson and and that was his whole rookie year It's just come off the bench and just get rebounds and make the right pass and that's it you're a rookie that's all we expect from you and he did that really well and, and also just defended a high level and that was what he did in his second year, they asked him to basically be James Johnson before they discovered what James Johnson could do last year. He was he was handling the ball a lot. Uh, the summer league going into his second season, he was he was running the point basically during summer league. That's what they wanted him to do. And uh, so they've always had that idea, but then the season rolled around and they also wanted him to hit spot-up jumpers. And he's obviously not good at that. And it was just his, – so his role changed drastically. So it was almost like a second rookie season – in his second year and he was dealing with um, a wrist injury and then a later a shoulder injury that required surgery. So he's dealing with that. So his whole the, whole, the first two seasons were, it's like he had two different rookie years and one was cut short by injury. So this year the heat, their main focus is not getting justice Winslow to be good, but just, okay, what is it that this guy is going to do? Because we've been jerking him around for two years. We got to figure out what is it we want him to be, how can we showcase his skills the best in case we want to trade him in the future, but mostly what do we want this dude to be? And that's what they have to figure out.
0: I think we've talked more about player movement, um, our future player movement in this podcast than we have in any other team preview so far, which is understandable. Um, given the, the roster construction that we've mentioned a few times, if they, if they go with the roster that they have, um, for the entire season, where do you see them finishing? Like a win like prediction what? and yeah. like where in the East? Both. Mm-hmm.
2: So, this is, I think this team, um, they have a benefit where Boston's gonna maybe, they're gonna have to adjust, right? Coming out of the gate. Mm-hmm. So, they might, they might struggle a little bit. Cleveland, the same thing. Um, Milwaukee has and Washington are both basically returning the same teams. And so they're going to have that continuity that Miami has. Uh, I think that at the start of the year, the Heat are going to look good. I think we're going to be surprised by how good they look just because of the way the schedule kind of pans out and just the way that this team is really hungry in a way I don't think other teams are uh, just based on the way they finished last year, missing the playoffs by a tiebreaker and this team didn't want to make the playoffs just to compete for a championship because that wasn't realistic this team wanted to make the playoffs because they really enjoyed playing basketball together and i know that sounds cliche and, and kind of dumb but it's really it's very true and that had a big impact on what they did financially this summer and uh so this team is going to come out hungry and passionate and playing really hard and i think that's going to help them as other teams are really just kind of taking the first couple of rounds to really feel out their opponents and feel out what they are doing as far as their own uh, roster construction and rotations and things like that. So that's going to help them. Um, I think they finished fourth or fifth in the East. Thanks in large part to a hot start. And I don't, depending on who they play, they can go in the first or second round of the playoffs, but I think they'll, they'll finish with somewhere around 48 wins. It would be my, would be where I start my over-under.
1: What about you, Dan? I'd probably start my over-under at 46 for them. I'm, I'm very interested to see, one, as I said, where Justice Winslow fits in. I want to see if you're going to get kind of duplicate or better production from Rodney Magruder, what's going to happen with Josh Richardson, who seemed like he really caught fire towards the end of the season last year. He's a, he's mm-hmm. a very important player to the Heat, and I don't think people realize that as much. Uh, I it, love Josh Richardson. He had, he
2: had 18 blocks in the last 13 games. He started the last 13 games because Waiters got hurt again, sprained his ankle. 18 blocks from a shooting guard in the last 13 games. That's pretty crazy. Yeah,
1: he it's, is it's, awesome. It's prime Dwayne Wade-esque. Um, I just – is he going to – he shot like a million percent from three. I think that's exact too uh, towards the, the last yeah, 15 that's, games of the season. That's what I have written down. <laughs> um, and, and the big questions I think you still have to ask is – Goran Dragic, he's going to be great. I think you know what you're going to get from Whiteside at this point. Can even one of James Johnson and Deion Waiters really follow up what were both career campaigns? And just with all that kind of built-in uncertainty, I, it definitely helps the Heat uh, that the East is trash, and it's, it's really just trash. And I think it helps the Heat even more where West could say 48 or 50, where I don't necessarily look at them as a 51 team, but then I look at teams who are ahead of them or are supposed to be contenders like the Raptors and even the Celtics. I'm just not impressed by either of those two squads right now. Boston mainly because of all the turnover. The Raptors just lost a lot of really important players, in my opinion. So I think 46 is a good over-under to start uh, with this squad just because of how many questions they do have, which aren't typically incumbent of squads who who we're going to pencil in for 48 or 50 victories right off the bat.
2: That's an important thing to, to note is that they if they this team is in the West this is a 40 win team in the West maybe 41, uh, 42 wins something like that but in the East yeah this is this is in the East this is a team that is returning a lot of players the East has turned over largely uh, a bunch of the All Stars have gone West and they have the benefit of continuity and good coaching which in the East is might be the two most important factors this season so. Uh, this is yeah, I, I
0: agree
1: 100% with everything you so. said. What do you have, of Matt Bell? And
0: now, I was going to say, not only are they, are they in the East, they're in a division that gets to play the Hawks and the mm-hmm. Magic a bunch of times.
1: Oh, I didn't even <laughs> yes. think about that.
0: So they're gonna they're gonna pick apart. I think a lot of that lower tier Eastern Conference competition. Um, I'm gonna say high 40s too, and I, I was tempted to just split the difference and say 47, but I'm gonna be a little bit more optimistic, and I'm gonna go with the 48 that. West had and I think there's so even with Boston like needing some time to sort of assimilate the new guys and get a little continuity going I still think uh, right now I would say them and Cleveland are kind of a clear one two and then there's mm-hmm. a there's a clump of teams after that I think Miami can get into that bunch with like Washington Toronto Milwaukee um because I think they already have the continuity. I think they are extremely well coached. They have some very, very versatile players. So I think they're a team that is in the conversation for maybe even home court advantage in the Eastern Conference.
1: We can agree I, that look, Spo's yeah. gotta be their like first or second best weapon, right? Like
0: <laughs> Oh, he's he's a
2: huge part of it for sure. There is two good coaches in the Eastern Conference. Like that, that that is never talk. There's two good coaches, and then that that have decent teams, right? Like we get Steve Clifford, I think is a good coach, but Charlotte's not very good. Um, I love there's Kane. two go- one
0: that I think is kind of interesting this year.
2: Who? Oh, Kenny Atkinson. Yeah, I guess even like the are the, the Brooklyn Nets count? I don't think they count. <laughs> uh,
1: they should count more than it, the Knicks.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, well, duh. but. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's there's really there's two good coaches and like there's two good like really good coaches in the East, right? And you look at the West, there's several. That that makes a huge difference,
0: I think. That's why, and I think yeah, more of the power imbalance. Go ahead, Dan.
1: Right, no, just the quick bow on it was when he came back to the Kyrie Irving stuff. I think that's why if you watch the Heat or the Celtics, you can talk yourself into giving whatever it takes or rolling the dice on kind of a divisive player like Kyrie Irving because you trust in your coaching staff. Mm -hmm to build him up. And we saw, we've seen it in Boston and Miami over the past three, four years more so than almost anywhere else, except maybe golden state and San Antonio, of course, just looking at the production that Brad Stevens gets out of everyone, looking at the careers that coach Spo has really had a hand in turning around over these last, Two or three seasons specifically, it's it's really incredible watching. That's where you, yeah. You know, at the beginning of the podcast, I'm like, wow, I'm surprised that West really wanted Kyrie Irving, Miami, but when you add that elite coaching into the equation, that that does make a huge. He difference. was coached by
2: Tyron Lue,
1: one of the Are most. You, like, I got, I ranked coaches leading into last season after the Cavs had won the championship, and I put Lue at like, I, I, he might have been, he was definitely in the bottom half, and I caught so much crap for it he was like he just won a championship like he has LeBron James and I'm not saying it's yes, hard yeah. but like he LeBron James likes him didn't like David Blatt I'm not going to reward Tyron Lue too much for you that.
2: look at the difference between when Spo- Spolster was coaching LeBron in the big three and what Tyron, David Blatt and Tyron Lue were doing and in Cleveland it's been nothing short of a mess right like they've been to finals because LeBron James is the God. greatest player on the planet and 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 it's not it's like we could argue about the best players. It's it hasn't been close for several years. It's been LeBron and everybody else. And Durant is starting to narrow that gap. But LeBron, what he can make on an impact on a night to night basis, is unlike what any other player in the league does. Just period end of story. That consistency is and that's where the Cavs have their consistency. Usually you want that consistency from your your head coach and from your organization, which the Heat have. And the the Cavaliers clearly have whatever the opposite of that is, and and Tyloo, you look. I, I thought LeBron when he left the Heat, the biggest thing he was giving up was not leaving Dwayne Wade, whose knees were a mess,
1: Does he even or leaving anymore?
2: Chris Bosh, right, or Chris Bosh, uh, who who you know at the time looked was one of the best players in the league, but then had his unfortunate health issues that would have happened anyway. But what he was really giving up was the organization. What he's really giving up was being led by Eric Spolster, having a guy, a coach who can figure out problems for him so that LeBron wasn't always the problem solver. And that's where he's been in Cleveland. And I could it's exhausting. And it's why guys like Kyrie Irving want to leave. And that's and that to me was what LeBron was giving up. And that's a whole I don't even oh, I I had a question for you guys. So my my hashtag Trust in Spo um, meter might be a little I might irrationally trust too much in Eric Spolstra but so from an outsider's perspective I I ask you guys if the Heat are in regardless of what seed they are but they're in the playoffs I don't even care if they have let's say they don't have home court advantage and they're playing Toronto are you comfortable betting against the Heat knowing that Eric Spolstra is a way better coach than Dwayne Casey or against the Wizards even though the Wizards clearly have the two best players in that series but are led by um, Scott Brooks who's like meh so what what is are are I know Heat fans would basically say we have a real chance at this because we have Eric Spolster. Am I are, are they crazy? No, I think I would
0: go ahead, Dan.
1: No, I just I mean, I would say obviously not just because there's only one team that I think is really head and shoulders above everybody, and it has nothing to do with coaches, and that's the Cavaliers. You put the Celtics in that series, I think it would still be close, just because unless the Celtics really just get off and running with their new cast, it's just the gap between these. I, I think we're going to see it again with these, let's say, 3 through 10 seeds. Like It's just not going to be that large. So I don't think it's crazy at all to think that, uh, to one, be uncomfortable about betting against the Heat in that series, but two, I, I would think you have a legitimate argument to say, yeah, the Heat might win this one, even if they're the team that comes in with a worse record.
0: I would preface my answer by saying, if Miami had gotten in last year, I was, I was almost ready to pick them over the Celtics. Cause Look what the Bulls did how- to start it, too. Yeah, just how well they were playing down the stretch of last season, and and like I said when I was giving my prediction, I love a lot of the players on this roster. I was I was on the fence about maybe picking them over Boston, so I wouldn't it wouldn't be crazy at all to me to. They see
2: really believe the that they this year. they believe they would have beaten Boston, and they believed it even more after the Bulls won the first couple of games. They oh, were oh, I'm sure. They were heated that they were not in the playoffs by this. It was a dumb tiebreaker, too, because it was a three-game series over the regular season. That doesn't make sense. And,
0: and like two of those games that, were in Chicago. That could be something that
2: fuels them this season. Yes, absolutely. It, it, they, it's not to the same level, but it's certainly on the same spectrum of when the Spurs lost to the Heat in 2013. And they were like, that's ridiculous. Like, Ray Allen makes like a once-in-a-lifetime shot, and we lose this yeah. series and and they come out with just absolute vengeance the next year and just dismantled the heat in 2014. It's on the same spectrum though not to that level, but it's it's there. Like that is where the heat believe that they were wronged by the basketball gods and they're going to get theirs this year.
1: The Heat are going to win every game against the Nets by like 60 points for Brooklyn wrestling its bad players <laughs> yeah. at the end of the season last year. 100%.
2: That's why you that's why continuity is important because they all remember that crap. <laughs>
0: So unless either of you has uh, any more topics you want to discuss, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap it up. Um, Remind us again, Wes, where we can find your work and where people can follow you on Twitter.
2: Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at WC Goldberg, And uh, I write pretty often for The Step Back. And uh, check out the podcast if you're a Heat fan or if you just want to know more about the Heat because they're going to be a lot of fun. We talk about Whiteside Snapchats on there. It's Locked on Heat. Uh, So we appreciate it. uh, Subscribe and a listen there. And that's it for me.
0: Awesome. Well, you were fun to have on. Great insights into the heat. Uh, Dan can be followed on Twitter as well. He's at Dan Favali, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. Of course, the show is at Hardwood Knox. And as always, uh, leave a rating or a viewer. Those things really help out podcasts. So do that with Lockdown Heat. Do that with us too. And uh, until next time, we leave you with the... We'll do it. I know Dan's favorite part of the show, for Don't sure. The shout-out shout to Bino Udri.
1: Bino! The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home an auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. hi Ho! This next one's for you, too. There's... A burglar in my heart, thank you
0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates Discounts not available in all states or situations And now, an ad from Dad Alright, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto
2: with Progressive
1: Can I take these off? Alright, what is this? This looks good Wow, that's what man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you, with the hair
2: Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff That's solid. That's not veneer. That's
0: solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, Only on Showtime.